We're trying to do everything we can to keep them at least stable and, and not lose them. We're, we're, we're fighting this losing battle the whole time. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator. I work with caregivers to help them find solutions to the often difficult behaviors exhibited by somebody with one of the many forms of dementia. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two, because we all know laughter is the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. No, I won't forget your wine. Thank you, dear. (laughs) (laughs) So, just as... Uh, parents look to pediatricians for care for their babies and children because of a specialized knowledge in that area. People choose geriatricians to take advantage of the most advanced care available for older adults. Absolutely. You know, in no way do we want to compare children and babies to elders with dementia, but that specialized medicine definitely makes a difference. Um, Research shows that doctors who specialize in geriatric medicine tend to have comforting attitudes and enjoy the chance to improve overall quality of life for older adults. Um, Today's guest is a primary care physician and board-certified geriatric physician. She has been in practice for over 18 years. She has practiced in hospitals, clinics, and nursing homes, and is skilled in the diagnosis and management of several geriatric syndromes, including Alzheimer's disease and varying forms of dementia. She is also very familiar with caring for someone with dementia in her own family. We are pleased to welcome Dr. Aliyah Amer. Welcome. Good morning. We are, we are so glad to have you here. Um, we would love to hear about your family experience and how you think maybe that um, speaks to your profession as well. I imagine the two work very well together, or maybe not sometimes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. My family experience has been interesting. Um, actually, probably I saw dementia as a child because my, gra- my maternal grandmother had dementia. And um, as a child, I was probably in uh, fourth grade or fifth grade, and I used to watch her. She lived with us uh, for a few months, um, and uh, I used to watch her talking to the mirror. So that's how I remember, you know, she used to talk to the mirror, and she used to forget her. uh, So she had forgotten my mother's, um, who my mother was. And I remember my mother having tears in her eyes, Oftentimes, my mother would come into the room and just talk to her, and she would tell my mother what a nice lady she was <laughs> and how grateful she was for all my mother did for her, but uh, she would not recognize her. And when I would ask her, so I would go with this question with my, um, with my grandmother. I would ask her the names of her children. She knew them perfectly well. She knew her, um, a lot of the things from, her, um, from the village where she lived, Perfectly well, but she did not really recognize us as well. So I would go over like, you know, I'm your grandchild. I would go that. And then the next day I would ask her and she would have completely forgotten. So, Mm -hmm. and um, when I was in medical school, I started to think about her dementia a little bit. You know, when I studied the dementia and I started to think and I studied about uh, diabetes and hypertension and 
something about vascular dementia. I don't, I don't recall if it was med, in medical school or residency, either of the two. And I kind of, you know, classified her as possibly vascular dementia. <laughs> That's interesting because my grandmother had passed away before I left India. I moved uh, to the U.S. In, uh, at the age of 25. I got into residency in Chicago. So I still had memories about her. So every time we would, I would study dementia somewhere, I would remember my grandmother. She mm-hmm. was my first experience with dementia. And then when my mother started to experience uh, symptoms, I, as a physician, geriatric board certified, actually missed uh, her um, diagnosis for about two to three years. I used to have this feeling that, yeah, what she's saying is dementia. You know, sometimes she would say hurtful things to, to me or my siblings, and we would not know why she's saying that. But uh, she was functioning so well. She was doing everything. She was calling relatives, going out for shopping, uh, even managing her finances to a good degree. So it was, it was not clear why would, she, why would she say those hurtful things. So in about two years after those um, experiences, uh, we started to see the memory loss come in. So that was one interesting aspect. And I always tell my patients that... Um, well, you can see the personality changes and um, the temperament changing even before you see memory loss. And I have seen that myself. And what, what we have, have learned, and you can tell us if this is accurate or not, very often um, they are experiencing um, the, the dementia years before people e- actually recognize it. And... Um, only when we look back, once we get the diagnosis and say, oh, now that makes sense, that kind of thing. And somebody who, who is an expert in this, who has seen it in a grandmother and still didn't recognize it right away, understand in their mom, shows how, how difficult it is to recognize in the early stages. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's hardest in family members. I don't know if it's... Um just the denial factor, or we don't want to, um, at a certain level, we don't want to, you know, our mind is blocking it, that we don't want to experience an illness in our, in our mother, in our closest, the closest person we've ever been with. So um, that probably makes it the hardest part. Well, I know for me, with my dad, from the time I was very little, my dad was like Superman, <laughs> right? He He was absolutely fearless. And then um, and, and strong. He was uh, strong like an ox. And then seeing him becoming frail and also the Lewy body dementia really coming to the forefront along with his schizophrenia, um, it was kind of devastating to me to come to that realization that this was, this was my superhero and he lost his superpowers. And I had a hard time coming to grips with that. Yeah, and I think there is a pretty good understanding even in the general public that dementia is not going to be reversed. It's pretty much there to stay, you know, just from the fact that we all know memory loss, once it starts, it's it's just downhill, you know, down the road, unless the patients uh, are managed extremely well, you know, extremely, extremely well, where the family members are in... um, understanding of the illness, they visit their doctors, uh, the patient is cooperative. In my mother's case, she wasn't too cooperative. So she did not see the doctor, I think, for almost two years. 
or three years uh, just for her uh, hypertension and diabetes management. So while we were uh, in the beginning stages, this was sometime in 2012 to 2014, she just refused to get her uh, blood pressure medicines refilled. And it used to be refilled through, um, through the pharmacy in India. They have a different concept there. They don't really require a prescription. They still, some of the pharmacies know the family members, so they'll send the medicine over. But so she would get maybe once a year checkup. And I think her blood pressure used to be up and down. Like when I used to visit India during my trips, I used to be a hospitalist here in Houston at that time. And I had two young kids. So I used to go for a month and I used to be like trying to convince her, hey mom, let's get your, let's go see a doctor because I'm going to be gone, you know, in three to four weeks. I'm going to go back to the U.S., and she would be so stubborn. She would not listen. <laughs> and, you know, that is, again, uh, the, the problem with dementia, that the patients, uh, because of the dementia, become extremely stubborn. So she used to have high blood sugar. She used to be eating sugary things. I remember, you know, sitting with her uh, just last, uh, in 2019, she came to the U.S. And she would want um, some sugary thing. And I used to be like, your blood sugar is going to spike. And she said, you know what? You know, I have lived my life. I've done the best I can. Now I need to, I need to be given that freedom what to eat. So it, that would be very hard to, to argue with her on that. And, and how, how old was your mom at this point? She was uh, 79. Okay. I am uh, 72. So far of sound mind, and my doctor gives me tests every year to, to check on that. But it seems to me there that you do reach a point in your life where you think, I have a lot more days behind me than I have in front of me, and let me eat what I want to eat. I, I can understand that, but I can also see it from the caregiver's point of view. In the, in the seven years I spent taking care of Mike's dad, um, trying to do everything we can to keep them at least stable and, and not lose them. We're, we're, we're fighting this losing battle the whole time. And we listened to someone speak at a conference where she was like, let them do whatever they want. If they fall and get hurt, okay, that's the risk they took, even to the point of letting a man use a saber saw uh, with dementia where, you know, he'd already cut off a finger, you know, just go ahead and let him do that. So there's got to be a balance between the two. You know, we want to keep them safe. But at the same time, there's this quality of life thing. Um, and you mentioned how stubborn they get. And sometimes, you know, these Italians, they start off s stubborn. <laughs> I often describe my dad of I'm having... <laughs> You know, of having dealt with, um, you know, the, the dementia and the schizophrenia and the COPD and the congestive heart failure and, and stubborn old Italian disease as well, because, <laughs> you know, that, that seemed to, to fit in, in the diagnosis as well. Um, but you mentioned that things are different in India, um, and you have a perspective of both countries. I can, I can only imagine that it helps you if you're dealing with people that come from India or come from other countries that are very different than the United States. I think we do have a little bit um, in the Indian mentality. There is a little bit more of social eating. Uh, why not? 
why can't I have that thing that everybody else is eating? So I'm sure it's it's there in our culture too here in the U.S. But in India, it's like, I think their portions are smaller, but they can be pretty concentrated. It's tricky because the patient may feel, the person may feel, well, I didn't eat that much, you know? Uh, so what's the big deal? I'm not gaining the weight. So what's the big deal? But but the, the sweets are concentrated. So she was diagnosed with diabetes and I mean, she was around 50 and she cut back her carbs and her sugar and she wasn't gaining weight. So that was okay. So she was, uh, she, she did not eat much of rice. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you brought back a memory to me when I was young. My grandfather had diabetes. And of course, uh, a big thing in Italian in Italians is that Sunday dinner, that Sunday family dinner. And it's the big bowl of pasta and the sauce. And they told my, my grandfather, you really shouldn't eat that. And he would just flat out say, if I can't enjoy something I've enjoyed my whole life, what's the point of being alive? So be quiet and let me eat in peace. <laughs> and he did. And unfortunately, he died pretty young. He died at 63. Yeah. But um, he, he had that mentality of, what's the point if I can't enjoy the one thing I've enjoyed my whole life? And, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I just remember that very vividly now that you mentioned about your mom. Absolutely. And we all have our favorites. You know, I joked that I would push you out of the way to get to ice cream. But I also am very aware that, you know, if it's always here, I'm going to eat it so I don't keep it in the house most of the time. But, Doctor, I would like to talk to you about what being a geriatrician means and, it, and how it helps not only people with dementia but the elderly. I was just on one of the Facebook pages, caregiver sites, this morning, and somebody was mentioning that they had taken their loved one to the doctor and they gave them the simple test where you draw the clock and you remember the three words and the doctor proclaimed that there was nothing wrong with this person. Now, we know that there are better tests, more extensive tests to see if somebody has this kind of cognitive impairment. And very often we tell them to go and see a neurologist. Um, What is it that a gerontologist does with patients like this? And what would convince somebody who has suspicion that somebody in their family may have dementia go to a doctor like you? I would say the, the, the thing is with the geriatricians, we are looking for dementia, the, the signs and the symptoms, and we want to address it and take care of the patient as a whole. Um, I, I think that Excellent. part is like very ingrained, ingrained in geriatricians. Uh-huh. Every geriatrician I've met, and they are like just, um, they look at things in a very wholesome way, like, you know, want to look at it um, uh, the patient set as a whole and not in pieces. Our experience has been doctors pay more attention to the patient, especially like in the case of my dad, he would tell the doctors, don't pay any attention to her. She worries too much. <laughs> so how do you bridge that gap of the patient and listening to the patient and listening to the family caregiver and the family who have seen, like you said, they're with them a lot longer than you are, and they observe behaviors. Is that uh, a a balancing act that you kind of have to weigh each time for each family or each 
patient? Yes, absolutely. You know, we obviously, we are doctors are just like other humans. We do make mistakes and we truly understand the patient's personality and their family dynamics. It takes about three to four visits. So, you know, the first visit will be uh, just trying to get their their entire history and all. And then slowly as they're coming in more often, we can pick up this dynamic that's going on. If the patient is kind of that personality who likes to be strong, macho, <laughs> you know, <laughs> does not want to does not want to show that he is, you know, falling in the restroom three times a day or something like that. And the family member gives you that history and the patient just brushes you brushes them off and says, hey, I did not, you know, I didn't do that, you know. And when you start seeing those things happening in the in the exam room where they go into this little tiny arguments and that's when you know that hey this guy this patient needs needs a little bit you know and then we try to channelize those conversations and sometimes they can be very intense like i've had intense conversations happening in the exam room where you know the patient with who had dementia would just get like completely ticked off with their family member because they did not want them to share some information with the doctor and that was very important information for me but the patient was not happy at all <laughs> at that time. I could see them, you know, and um, it just, it's, I have seen family members in my assisted livings in extreme stress. I tried to calm them down and make the patients understand it. Like, you know, hey, you know, that information is very crucial for me. And they would, you know, eventually calm, up, calm down a little bit. And then that would also give me a little bit more information that how this patient is at home. With their uh, family members, so it's if they are this way in the in the exam room, they're getting a little ticked off, and they probably get ticked off at home too. So oh yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. So then it helps me, you know, understand what the behavioral aspects are um, of the dementia. Is the patient having anger issues, and do we need to give them something to calm, keep them calm? And uh, some some sweet family members are like just taking it all in. I used to see that some uh, some of the family members would come in, um, typically daughters. I would see this with daughters a lot, that they were taking a huge burden of the, the mental health aspect of a dementia patient and just, you know, um, dealing a lot with it. And I would be like, I would see some of them like, you know, uh, entering the exam room just like, Oh, looking so stressed, more than more stressed than the than the patient itself. And I would be like, "Hey, it looks like you know you are going through a lot too. Take it easy." And they would be like, "Yeah, it's just been so much to handle." And they would have these books with lists and you know things to do. And they had their own appointments and their own. <laughs> She's describing me to it. <laughs> <laughs> they would be like, "Oh my gosh, your plate is more full than mine." I would be like. Uh, <laughs> After my father-in-law had passed away, it had been several months, um, we visited family in Florida, and, and our nephew, who had spent some time with us during the time we had Mike's dad with us, looked at me and he said, oh my God, you got younger. Um, because of the stress, that, you know, I was his primary caregiver. Mike went to work every day to support us so I could be at home and take care of his dad. And it it definitely aged me. I mean, I was having panic attacks. I was having migraines. My hair was falling out. I mean, it was extraordinarily stressful, which is one of the reasons why we do what we do now. Because we walked into this not knowing how difficult it was, 
how to respond to the behaviors, how long it would be. And, you know, there were moments when he didn't like me and I didn't like him. And there were moments when he said I was his best friend or I was poisoning him. You never knew from moment to moment. Um, and I think I made every mistake a caregiver can make because I didn't know what I, what I know now. And I tell people, you know, I would do it again and I wouldn't make the same mistakes, but I'd probably make different ones <laughs> because there's no way to figure this out. There's nobody really an expert in this. Now I call it um, creative problem solving on the run and, you know, do everything that I can to educate people about, you know, they're not making it up. You know, they're not just trying to get you mad at them. They're not faking. These are devastating brain diseases and they're not in control of their behavior. But it's very hard. Um, so many caregivers go into it not knowing what they're getting into and they definitely need the uh, knowledge and support and care of someone like yourself. One of the things I found when I was researching a little bit before the show, I found a, a quote and it's so simple, but it's so profound and it really explains a lot. And that quote was, dementia is caused due to the lack of communication between brain cells. And it doesn't matter what form of dementia, there's that lack of communication. And, and that's simple, but it is so perfect of a definition of, of dementia. I, I, I think that's so profound. Um, as, as we're getting close to wrapping up here, Doctor, I, I have to ask, is there one or two things that are primary in, in, in your mind that you want to share with our listeners? I think one, um, I would advise every person who, who has crossed the 65 years of age, whether it's the person himself or their family member you know, involved in the care, to definitely start um, requesting the geriatric assessments or get a referral for it to a geriatrician or even a neurologist to do those cognitive tests and get them every year. Uh, so the Medicare annual wellness exam includes the cognitive tests. And, yeah, that's uh, what my doctor does that, with me. Yeah. Also, another thing I find very crucial is maintaining the general health. So if they are diabetes, hypertension, and um, is under control, they are exercising, I think they will eventually have just better memory because, you know, the body functions as a whole. So if they are eating good, nutritious foods, I would avoid the processed foods, take good supplements, have them take good supplements, and just keep a low-stress life. You know, try to get them not too involved in family dramas, you know, <laughs> Like someone calling from overseas about, uh, you know, with, with COVID, I had this issue with all my elderly family members. They would hear about the deaths in India from COVID and they would just be like so stressed for like a week or two. So I think just keep their stress level low. Um, avoid telling them things that don't need to be told to them and give them good supplements and exercise, eating nutritious food and I think over if they are healthy overall, and even if they develop dementia, it won't be that bad. It won't progress that bad. And if they get their uh, physicals done and their um, geriatric assessments, and if 
the medicines can be started at an early stage, the progression won't be as bad. Well, Dr. Amir, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to us and our listeners. It's been an absolute joy. And as usual, I learn a whole lot every time. And I thank you for that. You're most welcome. It was my pleasure, too. Absolutely. So my biggest takeaway is anyone 65 plus needs to have that cognitive test every year and, you know, eat well, exercise, all the things that doctors have been telling us to do our entire lives. (laughs) You know, I often tell people what's good for your heart is good for your brain. One of the things that um, she said that I wrote down was um, they, they become stubborn and it makes it difficult to treat the other health issues like high blood pressure or diabetes with their stubbornness of not going to the doctor or being in denial or in refusal, if you will. And I really like the way she, she talked about bridging the gap between talking to the family and listening to the family and that the family sees behavior that she's not going to see. And you certainly experienced that with my dad. Absolutely. And one of the things I've learned since then, of course, um, during our time as caregivers, we didn't have these wonderful smartphones. Um, We had flip phones. But (laughs) now I often tell people to record the behaviors at home and, and take it and let the doctor see it. And it also helps with other family members as well who don't see what's going on in the home. Um, to see that you're not exaggerating or making anything up, that this is what's this is what's actually happening. And again, we thank Dr. Amir for being our guest today. You can find more information about her on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.